Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church, where this community of Kensington Unitarians meets for worship each Sunday morning. I often start our services by reflecting on the weather and how it may relate to our lives and the life of the world. And although I've managed to be on foreign shores for the whole of the past week, I kept getting weather reports from this country that told me that it had been somewhat changeable and somewhat wet. And maybe this changeability might sometimes match the turmoil of this world in which we live. The disturbances of world news, the challenges that I know some of us are facing in our personal lives. And in the face of turmoil, it's helpful, I think, to find a place of inner balance, inner peace, from which to respond to life. And I think that's what some of us come to church to find once again, some rock that we can place our spiritual feet upon, a sense of community that holds us firm however fiercely those winds blow, a chance to remember once again our connection with God, with spirit, whatever words you use for the divine or with the human spirit shining within us all, connecting with the love and the commitment that comes from being related one to another. This is a place and a people that welcomes you just as you are. So I invite you now to take a moment, a moment to centre yourself, A moment in which we can settle into ourselves and into this gathered community here today as we consider this as a day of promise, a day in which life will ever assert itself in the beauty of the natural world all around us, though the skies be grey and the streets be wet. Still, this is a day of potential and promise. May we rejoice and be glad of that. This simple flame flickers. It can easily be blown out. Yet what it represents is a far stronger flame within us and beyond us. A flame of faith that need never be extinguished. A flame of connections shared. A flame of clarity and truth. Symbolising our liberal faith the world over. Where Unitarians celebrate the oneness of all life. May this flame burn brightly today. And remind us all of that which connects us one with another. Welcome. Welcome to you all. in which I pray to the universal spirit of love, that which resides within each one of us, the God within whose power reaches beyond the stars, whose love connects us one to another and to all creation, reminding us again and again, lest we forget, we are one. At times... We cry out with the pain of this broken world. 
with all of our capacity for love, we might ask, well, why can't we always wrap this world in love and bring healing? And we know the limits of our own loving. We know how hard it can be at times to express the love we know is inside us. We may feel constricted or hesitant, afraid perhaps that love will be rejected or misused. And so let us pray for forgiveness, that we may learn to forgive others and accept their forgiveness of us. Help us to let go of fear so that we can move on, opening our hearts to one another and to our world. Let our love shine forth from this sacred place that others may know that here they will find freedom, they will find acceptance, community and love. In a moment of stillness now, I invite you to give thanks for the blessings of love in your lives and the chances you've been given to love again and again and always. May we feel that love inside us, connecting with the love in each other and in the stars. Amen. Every week I find here that there is a new rule to remember once again about leading worship. Okay, and this rule for today is, if you're going to do something involving children, remember to tell the children's leader, and ideally the children themselves, before the event. So I'm about now to tell the story of Noah's Ark and the Rainbow without the children. (laughs) There is very little point to it now, so I think I'm going to have to turn the whole thing around and ask you, as you are hearing this story, to think back to when you first heard it and maybe to the points in life where you suddenly thought, hold on a moment. I remember one of mine being, I used to go and help at a stables, and at a certain point I looked at the dung heap there and then thought of the ark and thought, tricky. I wonder what they did. But this is a story, isn't it, that we all know. Noah, the man who loved God at a time when all other people on earth had turned away from him. And that that made God so very sad and angry that all the people had turned against him. That he said one day something to Noah that I think gave even Noah a tad of a shock. God said, I'm going to destroy this wicked world and everything that lives here. Except for you and your family, Noah. God warned Noah that a great flood would cover the earth. And he gave Noah remarkably accurate instructions on how to build that great boat, the ark, made of wood, that would be big enough to hold Noah and his family and the animals. Noah, being a man of such faith, did exactly as he was told. 
even though the others probably mocked him something rotten, and even though he'd never seen rain or a flood before, because up until that point, the waters had come up from the earth, from the sea way below. So it was that once the ark was built, they filled it with supplies of food, and then the animals arrived two by two, took their places in that ark. And Noah and his family shut the door and waited, and then the rains came. It rained, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. The earth was flooded and all living things died, except for those safe on the ark. And after the rain ceased, still the ark floated upon the waters for many months till God brought that drying wind and the ark came to rest. Noah sent out the raven and the dove and at first they just returned empty. But then a dove returned with a little sprig of olive in its mouth and so Noah knew it was safe to open the ark. And there they were upon the hillside of Mount Ararat and out they went two by two although the song I recall said they came out threes by threes because they'd found out about the birds and the bees and that's another problem I used to worry about as a child not to mention the eating each other issue but you know how the story ends and it's there to remind us that in the sky that day there was a rainbow set by God and that was the mark of God's covenant with the people of the earth that no longer would he ever send a flood to destroy the earth. And that is the well-known story of Noah's Ark and the rainbow. But it brings us to today's second story, which is again about a flood and is a very different religious tradition. It's the the Hindu story. It tells of the time that the great sage Narada asked the god Vishnu about the secret nature of Maya. Maya, the Hindu term for illusion. Maya, meaning the way that us humans get confused about what is real and what is important. What is Maya? asked Narada. The world is my Maya. They who accept this understand me, said Vishnu. But before I explain, Narada, will you fetch me a cup of water, requested the Lord, pointing to a river. Narada did as he was told, but on his way back, he saw a beautiful woman. Smitten by her beauty, he begged the woman to marry him and she agreed. Narada built a house for his wife on the banks of the river and she bore him many children. Loved by his wife, adored by his sons and daughters, Narada forgot all about his mission to fetch a cup of water for Vishnu. In time, Narada's children had children of their own, and surrounded by his grandchildren, Narada felt happy and secure. Nothing could go wrong. Suddenly, dark clouds enveloped the sky. There was thunder, lightning and rain, The river overflowed, broke its banks and washed away Narada's house, drowning everyone he loved, everything he possessed. Narada himself was swept away by the river. Help, help, he cried. Somebody, please help me. And Vishnu immediately stretched out his hand and pulled Narada out of the water. Back on dry land, Vishnu asked, 
Where is my water? How can you be so remorseless? How can you ask me for water when I have lost my entire family? And Vishnu smiled. Calm down, Narada. Tell me, where did your family come from? From me. I am the only reality, the only entity in the cosmos that is eternal and unchanging. Everything else is an illusion, a mirage, constantly slipping out of one's grasp. You, Narada, you, my greatest devotee, you knew that. Yet enchanted by the pleasures of worldly life, you forgot all about me. You deluded yourself into believing that your world and your life were all that mattered. Nothing else was of any consequence. According to your perspective, the material world was infallible, invulnerable, perfect. That, Narada, is Maya. And thus it was that the great god Vishnu dispelled Narada's illusion, bringing him back to the reality, the realm of reality, and making him comprehend the power of Maya over humankind. And that's our lives. Okay, show of time. Uh, Show of hands now. Time. (laughs) Has anybody else other than me spent good time and money going to see the latest film starring Russell Crowe, a retelling of the biblical myth of Noah? Anybody been to see it? I'm going to save you a fortune. (laughs) You just need to put your 3D glasses on, everybody, and it'll just happen. Um, After I'd seen the film, I went back to my Bible and I read the story again. And I I was intrigued to know what was actually in that biblical tale of early humanity's punishment by God for their wickedness and, and what the filmmakers had actually made up. There was more than one bit in the film where I was convinced that they'd taken dramatic license a tad too far, only to find later that it was there in the original text, including the ending where Noah gets very drunk. It really happened. It's fascinating to think how a story still often told to children, a story that most children can tell back to us, of animals happily making their way into the ark two by two, has such a very fierce, nasty message in it that God could be so angry that he would destroy his creation. I find it even more fascinating that hundreds of ancient stories, actually hundreds of ancient stories, exist about a flood almost destroying the earth from very different cultural backgrounds. Did something happen a long time ago to the earth that is preserved now in folk tales? But if we take ourselves back only a hundred years or so ago to Victorian England, the story of Noah's Ark found in the book of Genesis was generally considered at that time still to be true. If you have a look on your order of service sheet, there's a little picture of a clay tablet there, part of the British Museum's superb collection of such tablets from Mesopotamia. They have about 130,000 different ones of them, mostly fragments, written in what is now known as cuneiform script, incredibly difficult to decipher. 
Most of them are administrative records of work done and wages paid. But in the, I had to bring the whole book because it's just such a magnificent book, this one. I'll lend this to somebody if you like. This is the history of the world in 100 objects, written by the British Museum's wonderful uh, director, Neil McGregor, in which he gives a marvellous account of how one such tablet was finally deciphered. In 1872, by a young printing apprentice, George Smith, who worked near the museum and had become obsessed with these intriguing uh, tablets written in this seemingly incomprehensible script. Wonderful to think, isn't it, that they could not be deciphered at that time. The script made by pressing a wedged writing tool into damp clay. The fragment that George Smith deciphered in 1872 was to shape shake the very foundations of biblical scholarship and to raise big questions about the role of scripture and its relationship to truth. Neil McGregor writes, our tablet is about a flood, about a man who is told by his God to build a boat and to load it with his family and animals because a deluge is about to wipe humanity from the face of the earth. The tablet that George Smith was reading held an ancient myth that both paralleled and, importantly, predated the biblical story of Noah. A Hebrew biblical story had already been told on a Mesopotamian clay tablet. Now, that may not seem like big news to us today, but, oh, to George Smith and others of his time, it was amazing. Just listen to this. Um, this is such a lovely account. This was an account from the day, 1872. Smith took the tablet and began to read over the lines which the conservator had cleaned of this tablet that had been brought to light. And when Smith saw that they contained the portion of the legend he had hoped to find there, he said, I am the first man to read that after 2,000 years of oblivion. Seeing the tablet on the table, he jumped up and rushed about the room in a great state of excitement until the astonishment of those present began to undress himself. (laughs) Exciting times, the Victorian era and the British Museum. Isn't that a lovely thought of a discovery so exciting that you take your clothes off and run around a room? In more recent years, other scholarship has focused on this multitude of flood myths and wondered if they do indeed relate to some prehistorical event. One theory suggests that um, glacial melting led to a flooding in the Baltic region, which led people to move and hence to the spreading of folk accounts of such a flood. But flood stories are actually found all over the world and in all religious traditions. They did not all just come from the Baltic. They vary in their detail, but some essential teachings emerge. Floods may represent that which we cannot control. As the dreadful weather and the subsequent flooding here in Britain this winter showed us, against the forces of water, humanity really has quite a limited amount of power. So no wonder then that ancient people would view such disasters as being sent as a punishment from God. Isn't such thinking quite understandable when we're faced with a power greater than ourselves, beyond our ability to deal with? 
we imagine that some divine retribution is being sent. Now, most of us here in London had little more than leaking roofs to deal with during the bad weather, but less than 40 miles away from here, people's houses were flooded (coughs) by water from our lovely River Thames for weeks and months on end. Water that could actually bypass those sandbags so very easily. I remember one interview that I saw on television that really touched me where a young man in tears was trying to sweep flood water from the ground floor of a house that he explained they'd only moved into the week before. I keep asking myself, he said, what have we done to deserve this? Isn't it so very human to think in these terms? And of course, a scientist would respond not in terms of divine retribution, but in the practicalities that remind us not to build properties on floodplains of rivers and to ensure that flooding water always has somewhere else to flow to. Scientists can also make predictions for the future based on what we know now. London, for example, did not flood this winter primarily because of the Thames barrier, but it will need other strategies to protect London in the future if and when climate change brings about the predicted rise in sea levels. And what can we in the relatively comfortable Western world do to help those struggling in the developing world? In Bangladesh, for example, much of the country is low-lying and prone to life-threatening flooding when the monsoons fall more intensely than usual and there is nowhere else for the people to live. Our hymn earlier on, Will Your Anchor Hold?, gives a traditional faith perspective on life's unpredictable challenges. It reminds us perhaps to check our own faith stance from time to time. Will it hold us strong in tough times, both individual and collective, even if most of us wouldn't expect God to tell us how to make that ark? And there are other messages too, aren't there? The way that disasters can bring people together I found this beautiful quotation from George Eliot, which is on the front of your order of service sheet. What quarrel, what harshness, what unbelief in each other can subsist in the presence of a great calamity when all the artificial vesture of our life is gone and we are all one with each other in primitive mortal needs. Those are the times when people pull together, aren't they? There is a, oh yeah, I have got time to tell this story. I'm always telling this story, but it always makes me laugh. The story of a a religious man who escapes to the top of a a roof during a great flood and a rescue team comes by in a boat and they shout, come on, get in. And the religious man replies, no, I've got faith in God. He'll grant me a miracle. And then the water is up to his waist and another boat comes. They shout for him to get in. Again, he says he's waiting for God's saving grace. On it goes, water to chest high, and eventually, when the water's up to his chin, a helicopter throws down a ladder and they tell him to get in, mumbling with the water now in his mouth. The man of faith again turns down the request, for he has absolute certainty that God will save him. And so it is that he arrives minutes later at the gates of heaven, having drowned in the flood. And with broken faith, he says to St. Peter, I thought God would grant me a miracle. I've been let down. I want to complain to the management. (laughs) St. Peter smiles and responds, I don't know what you're complaining about, he says. We sent you three boats and a helicopter. (laughs) Now, we may choose 
to view extreme weather as an adversary to be overcome. But in truth, it's the reality that we have to live with here on our wondrous yet ultimately unpredictable planet Earth. Yes, we have ongoing scientific developments to support us, yet in truth, don't we know that there are limits to our powers, that there will always be something we cannot control in life? Most of us would choose not to believe in a God that would punish his creation, or a God that would save us more than another. And yet we may still, I think, find some solace in a power greater than ourselves, our help in ages past and our strength in years to come. Amen. A blessing for courage. Gather all the kindling about your heart to create one spark, for that is all you need to nourish the flame that will cleanse the dark of its burdensomeness. A new confidence will come alive to urge you towards higher ground, where your imagination can learn to engage difficulty as its most rewarding threshold. Amen. Go well and blessed be.